Welcome back to PS Editor's Podcast. I'm Greg Bruno, an associate editor at Project Syndicate. Today's topic, will artificial intelligence erode our own? Smart people disagree on what artificial intelligence, AI, will mean for humanity. Some, like Tesla's Elon Musk, see it as the biggest threat to civilization, while Google's Eric Schmidt predicts that machine learning will revolutionize the global economy, not unlike how the American highway system transformed the U.S. economy. But no matter what the future looks like, there is little question that AI will change how we work, relax, and relate to one another. As my guest today argued in a recent PS piece, some of these changes will be less welcome than others. Harold James is a professor of history and international affairs at Princeton University and a longtime PS contributor. And he tends to agree with Musk. One reason AI will be bad for humanity, James says, is that it will make us much dumber. Let's ask him why. Hello. Hi, Harold. Thanks for joining us on PS Editor's podcast today. Hello, Greg. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. So I'm very interested in speaking about one of your recent columns looking at artificial intelligence and whether or not it will make us dumber. Um, you write that the next stage in human perfectibility will require us to give up independent thinking and judgment altogether. What did you mean by that? Well, we've already given up quite a lot of this. If you think about it, when we we go on an aeroplane or we go on a car, uh, we really surrender ourselves in many, many ways to technology and we don't understand the technology. Um, so uh, I, th I think what I'm thinking about is just a, a further escalation of this process. You, you can see it, for instance, if you think of um, medical diagnoses, um, the interpretation of radiology, um, you know, this is something that used to be an incredible skill that uh, trained radiologists would do. And uh, the, the data is now out that uh, it's, it's better if it's done by machines. Um, and so the, the, the human doctor uh, just needs to surrender their judgment on that particular issue. If, if they think that, they, uh, that, that there's a particular problem and the uh, computer diagnosis tells them there isn't, they accept what the computer says. So, so it's more it's more complicated than say googling an answer that you don't know or remembering your friend's phone number versus inter entering it into your phone. Well, of course, I, there's all of that. People don't know any numbers anymore. Uh, don't know how to do any arithmetic. You don't need to do any arithmetic. Uh, so, uh, you know, all those kind of little practical skills that were very, very commonplace and that were important to surviving uh, decades ago just don't matter anymore. I, I think I'd rather sub, uh, submit myself to somebody else's expertise than rely on my own thinking when it comes to flying a plane, however. Right. Uh, but you, you see what I mean, that there's a loss of control implied in this. Um, and uh, you, you, you're just dependent on something that you don't know, you don't understand. Maybe it's, it's, it's better to illustrate that by thinking about automobiles you know uh, decades ago uh, when i was growing up automobiles were still really quite unreliable um 
and you had to know how to fix them. And uh, there was a kind of uh, science of uh, how to repair an automobile. Um, and you, you needed to understand how the how the cylinders worked and uh, how the oil worked and so on. Um, now uh, it's it's done uh, completely remotely. Uh, you can't really even fix it in a, in a garage. It, just needs an electronic adjustment uh, that's done in a completely different way. So we don't need to understand the process. And th th that's in some way, obviously, it's more convenient. Uh, the, the cars are much more reliable. Uh, but on the other hand, there's this, uh, this loss of control. And I think the feeling of the loss of control just bleeds over into many other aspects of social and political life and uh, makes people feel really, really lost at sea interesting so the next the next populist quote-unquote politician might not be um uh, raising concerns over income inequality or job losses but it might be the the assault of ai and the uncontrollability of that future well exactly i mean whatever you want to say about donald trump he's obviously not a robot um so yes that, that that's exactly the kind of fascination i think that will will uh, will be driving future politics. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting. The argument that you make in your piece is comparing it to what happened after the first industrial revolution and the uh, as, as the desire, the need, I should put it, um, for physical labor decreased with, with uh, automation, people were physically weaker. Um, and you make the analogy that with the fourth industrial revolution, people will become somewhat uh, less intelligent as they let go of that control. But another impact of early industrialization was on demographics. I mean, as productivity increased, populations grew and incomes, higher incomes led to improved nutrition, broader access to health care and higher longevity. Will AI, do you think, have a similar demographic impact? Yes. Um, I mean, in fact, that, that story of increasing longevity, it's, it's a very 20th century story, but it's, it's still going on. And obviously, one of the things that the improved diagnosis and improved ability as a consequence to treat many chronic diseases that are quite, uh, quite difficult and quite unpleasant uh, will indeed, I think, be to, uh, to push up uh, the, the age even further. And, you know, that, that creates even more problems. Uh, what are we going to do for so long uh, when we don't really do the traditional kind of jobs anymore. That, that, that was the worry that really drove uh, that, uh, that, that particular piece. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're right to say, um, actually, that the first Industrial Revolution or the original Industrial Revolution uh, was not unambiguously bad for people uh, because uh, this very, very heavy physical labor uh, was something that wore people out. Um, and, you know, when in the late 19th century, uh, European societies were introducing the first pension systems. There really wasn't an expectation that manual workers would live very long because they were simply broken by the amount of physical activity. And so, uh, you know, in that sense, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, they, they get worn out more quickly, but they're strong. And uh, th this was the change that I was thinking about. Mm -hmm. You know, and the other thing, as I was reading your piece and, and contemplating on where we're talking about in terms of these changes that you foresee with AI, it, it really seemed to be a concern for, for largely developed economies. Um, and I wonder about the developing world. You know, one of the challenges 
that poor and developing countries have is creating enough jobs for a massive boom in, in, in young populations. This is often seen as a, democratic, a demographic dividend. Will AI cost these countries that dividend, do you think? Yes, uh, you're already seeing, I think, something of this because the big debate about the onshoring of jobs, so jobs that were lost um, over the last decades to uh, poorer emerging markets with cheaper labor forces are being brought back. Uh, but with the technology, that means that there's very, very little human labor involved. And exactly the same kind of process is now also being applied in many of the the, the, the more dynamic emerging uh, market. So th this is a story in China that there's a, a more and more automation there. Uh, so exactly the same kind of problems will hit the uh, the emerging world. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, as, as you say, that's really more of a problem for them uh, in that they have this immense uh, potential workforce, uh, whereas uh, the the uh, uh, older industrial countries um, are are in this the story of uh, you know many of them are below the net replacement rate uh, so the fertility levels have, have, have fallen dramatically they're aging um, and in some ways uh, this this replacement of man by machine fits in with their kind of uh, demands but uh, for the for, for poorer countries that are still in the middle of a demographic explosion, uh, this is really a very, very serious challenge. Mm. And so how do, how do countries that are in the middle of that, that demographic dis explosion, how do they respond? Is it through uh, increased innovation at home or is it through something completely different uh, like Exodus? Well, ex Exodus is, is uh, clearly one of the, one of the uh, ways out and uh, that's, that's a phenomenon that we see uh, in large, large parts of the world. Um, but it it really has its problems as well in that if the more mobile or more dynamic a part of a population moves out and leaves older people and poorer people and sicker people behind, uh, there's often a, a challenge there how to, how to care for the uh, uh, population that remains. And if you look in... Um, uh, East Central Europe, Southern Europe, um, that, that's exactly one of the major scares that uh, they're losing the dynamic element of the, their societies through emigration uh, and uh, they're, they're left uh, unable to provide basic resources. So um, emigration and, and demographic decline are major factors in, also in the political debates in Eastern and Central Europe. You know, much of the conversation that we're having and that others have related to AI is that this is an inevitability, that we're in the middle of these changes and whether the changes come to labor force participation or um, intelligence, as we're discussing, um, the reality is it's going to happen. One of the things that you, you said in your piece that I, I thought kind of, for me, raised a question, uh, at least to that inevitability. You know, you say that, you know, human companionship might in some way be replaced by AI technology um, in caring for older people and caring for aging demographics. But how inevitable is this future? I mean, even people with smartphones need human companionship and a hug every now and then. If AI can't give us that, wouldn't humans just shy away from a future that denies us our basic needs? 
Well, uh, you're you're right. I think uh, you're obviously right. I, I don't think anybody would would doubt that that um, the entirely artificial intelligence driven uh, robot can't really replace the uh, human being because uh, to start with the um, the AI robot is is entirely predictable. Um, I'm sure uh, many people have had conversations with their mobile phone you know, with these digital assistants uh, with uh, Siri on um, on the on the Apple products. Um, there are, there are many others in, in, in the meantime, and um, it's quite fun to do that. It's quite a good way to learn another language, uh, have a conversation with Siri in a foreign language. Uh, but it's in the end very, very unsatisfying, and uh, you get bored with it very quickly, whereas uh, humans are full of unpredictability, and uh, that's the delight and the surprise of dealing with real people. Um, but I think one of the issues will be that that will become a kind of luxury product. So you already see it, uh, that uh, there's a kind of bifurcation, say in, in uh, uh, restaurants that are almost entirely automated, where you press the selections and uh, it, it comes more or less automatically. Um, and then there are uh, upmarket restaurants where people pay a fortune, where they're just swirled around by waiters and the cooks come and talk to them and explain what the dishes are. Uh, but that's a niche product. And it's exactly the same story. I think you know, that's where I, I find the parallel with the first industrial revolution really helpful in that that's exactly what happened in the first industrial revolution, that it produced um, cheaper and more available products for a large number of people. Uh, and then there were kind of elite niche products uh, for the top end of the market. But uh, that was that was a kind of separate phenomenon. And um, what I worry about with the uh, development of uh, artificial intelligence is exactly that large numbers of people will really be disconnected more and more uh, from ordinary human contact. And that's that's impoverishing. Um, it's it's uh, mentally, psychologically, spiritually impoverishing to be in that situation. And yet the, the, the future that you're charting here will be irreversible. We, we won't recognize it as it's happening collectively. Uh, as a species, and we'll, essentially, we'll be giving up our ability to, to go back to square one. In many ways, it's uh, we're right in the middle of it. A lot of this has already happened. Um, it's it's I think uh, one of those those processes that uh, people look at. Uh, they're perplexed. They're in the middle of it. Uh, but no, the, 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 there's no obvious way of reversing it because it produces on the face of it uh, so many gains, but you you also lose an enormous amount. Uh, so, I mean, I think that that experience is, is not a new uh, phenomenon. If you think back um, uh, when Christopher Marlowe uh, wrote his, his uh, play about the experience apparently of a real magician in early 16th century Germany, Dr. Faustus. Um, what Faustus gets is a whole series of little tricks. Um, you know, they're fun things to do. They're a bit like the, 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 the digital gadgets that we can have. Um, you can be invisible and hit the Pope on the head. Um, and it's very funny and it, it's, it's, it's good for a laugh, but it's deeply, deeply impoverishing and uh, it, it, it robs uh, Faust and you know, that's, that's clearly the, 
the, the upshot, it robs first of his humanity. Hmm. I want to go back to the picture you painted of sitting in a restaurant and having to ask or pay a premium to talk to the person who produced my food to even ask what I'm eating. That suggests that we're, we're talking about a, a society of, of very different types of inequality that's, that's potentially being generated. If you can pay to speak to somebody that's producing something for you, well, then you're in a different class of people than if you can only afford to push buttons and have your food come out on a conveyor belt. Is the future that you're painting essentially a new type uh, of inequality that might not be fully defined as of yet, but it is moving in very dangerous directions? Yes, it's it's a new type of inequality in the sense that it's not measurable in the conventional terms. Uh, but obviously, the conventional measurements of inequality, um, levels of income or levels of wealth, will also dictate how you're able to interact with people. So uh, the, the people with higher incomes, uh, high levels of wealth, will buy these personal interactions. Uh, but you know, then if you think about it, um, you follow on on this kind of Dr. Faustus path. If you buy personal interactions, that's not very satisfactory either. That's not really how human friendship operates. And so nobody is really going to win out of this. You, know, you may feel if you're buying the, 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 the services that you're, you're, you're having for the moment a better experience, but it's not really in the end what we think of as a fully human experience hmm, right you know this this conversation seems to be very much black and white in so many ways um, and I wonder if there's there's a place to bring AI technology in that is slightly less um, that, that it doesn't necessarily paint such a dystopian future and I think what we're seeing in some of the ways that AI is being in incorporated into the industrial base already is humans working alongside robots and this term cobots um, is is a term that's being used in the manufacturing of airplanes and the manufacturing of vehicles and humans literally being wrapped uh, and, and working alongside robot companions but do you see AI as all or nothing well, I, I don't think what I was presenting was altogether dystopian because I, I'm absolutely convinced that there are many, many advantages of this process. Um, and uh, for instance, you know, you go back to something like the medical diagnosis, you can give much, much more accurate diagnoses. And so you can detect diseases more quickly, treat them more effectively. Um, all of this is just very, very impressive. And it's, it's going to uh, lead to longer life. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, you're attempt to give a kind of uh, twist of it where humans are really still steering the process. Um, it's, it's, it's brave, but it doesn't really confront quite the reality of what this, this engagement, this uh, engagement of, of humans with uh, machine technology in, involves. Um, you know, I'm, I'm struck by, by it actually um, uh, in the sense of uh, just personal examples. Um, it, the the uh, people who drive Uber taxis in, in the United States, at the beginning, this was a great experience and it was fun. And you know, I had many, many conversations with Uber drivers about what they were doing and how it had changed their lives. And over the last year or so, I've noticed that it's almost impossible to have these, these conversations because the, the drivers are so fixated 
on interacting with their technology. Um, they, they seem as if they're really slaves of the particular machine and they don't want to have a conversation. They think that that's a distraction. Um, and uh, they, they just uh, uh, see themselves more as fitted into the technology than fitted into the human interaction. Sure, but the Uber driver's working. What about leisure? In an AI-dominated world, do you think that people will find pursuits or hobbies that are uniquely human? Well, uh, human relations, uh, romantic relations, love, I, I mean, that, that's obviously an area that the computer uh, can't venture into. Um, but even there, it starts to dictate people's lives. If you think of the, uh, the, the, the these enormously popular dating applications, uh, they're doing exactly that. They're replacing something that was deeply human. Uh, by something that is based on a, an algorithm uh, that in many ways may be quite perceptive. It may put you in contact with the right kind of person, but um, the, the whole business of human society up to now has been the unpredictable um, and uh, how people react to the unpredictable. And that's, that's what's going to be lost. Mm. That was really fascinating. Harold, thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you, Greg. That was Harold James, Professor of History and International Affairs at Princeton University. You can read all of his PS columns at www.project-syndicate.org. And that's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate and review our podcast and subscribe on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. Until next time, don't do anything stupid. I'm Greg Bruno. Bruno.